Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Cool. Well, this morning we're going to continue a series that we started last week on um, David, looking at uh, David's life. David is a character in the Old Testament. He's regarded as Israel's greatest king. And over the next five weeks, four weeks now, we're going to be looking at David and just pulling a few uh, uh, characteristics, a few events out of his life and going, hey, this is... Uh, uh, these are some of the mistakes that David made. What can we learn from them? These are some of the successes that David had. What can we learn from them? This is how David connected with people. This is how David connected with God. Can we take something out of the Old Testament and apply it to ourselves today? And so last week, Pastor Mark, I think, spectacularly kicked us off looking at David, the worshiper. If you weren't here last week, you can get this on iTunes, download it today. And... um, looked at David the worshiper and we looked at how did David connect with God. We looked at what did David do to connect with God. We looked at what happened when David connected with God's presence. And so we looked at David the worshiper and and, and applied a few things to our lives. In fact, one thing that I meditated on this week was when Pastor Mark shared the idea that when we worship God, the fullness of his presence rests on us. So everything that God is, rests on us. God, I don't know about you, but my God, He's a provider. Uh, my God, He's a healer. Uh, my God is wisdom. Uh, my God is a restorer. And so whenever I get into His presence, the fullness of who He is, His providence, His restoration is on me. I just love that. And so we learned that from David last week. This week, I want to look at, we want to look at David the shepherd. David the shepherd. We're going to go right back to the beginning of this great man's life and look at, I guess, his uh, foundation, look at where he came from. And, and uh, David was the famous good shepherd of Israel. And so we're going to look at his shepherding. We find the story of David uh, starting in the book of Samuel. And, um, you know, the prophet comes in looking for a new king and goes to a guy's house named Jesse. God told him that, you know, this household, the king's going to come out of. He goes to Jesse and then Um, He says to Jesse, hey, can we have all your sons? And so Jesse gets all of his sons and the prophet begins looking at all the sons of Jesse, gets to the very last son and he looks back at Jesse and he says, hey, um, when I ask for all your kids, um, please forgive me if I'm wrong, but are these all your kids? Because I don't feel God's spoken to me. And Jesse goes, oh, no, there is one more. (laughs) That's, That's right. Like, I'd imagine that if you invited myself and Kat over to your place for dinner, and said, hey, bring your family. Um, I've got two kids. If I walked in with just my son, um, I'm sure you'd go, oh, hey, Tim, um, when I asked for your family, don't you have two kids? Like, wouldn't you find it strange if I went, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. Oh, when you said family, I just thought you'd bring the one that I like the most. That's what I thought. <laughs> like, wouldn't you find that strange? Wouldn't you find that strange? And so the prophet goes, Jesse, when I said, oh, your son, do you have another one? And Jesse goes, oh, yeah, I do have another one. No, he's out in the field looking after sheep. And so this is our introduction to David. He's a forgotten boy who's a shepherd. This is our introduction to David. He's a forgotten son. He's a shepherd. And so what I want us to look at this morning are four things today. First, I want to look at the theological contrast between David and Jesus. I think that we should preach about Jesus this morning at church, don't you? Okay, so we're going to look at the theological uh, uh, contrast between David and Jesus. Is there a parallel here between these two? Then I want to look at uh, your past exists to prepare your future. 
Okay, we're going to unpack that. Your past exists to prepare your future. Then what I want to look at is that your place of preparation is your place of position. We're going to unpack that a bit more. What does that mean? I don't know, but we're going to find out. Your place of preparation is your place of position. Then we're going to finish off with uh, the voice of the shepherd is calling us. So this is going to keep us on track this morning. These four things is what we're going to touch on. I want to bring your attention to our foundational scripture this morning. If you're taking notes, it's found in John 10. John 10, 25 to 29 is our foundational scripture if you're taking notes this morning. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen and you can follow with me. It says this, Jesus answered. Everyone say, Jesus answered. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus answered. Mm. I don't know about you, but I want to hear that more in my life. I don't know about you this morning, but I want to hear more Jesus answered in my life. Whenever I connect with God and worship, whenever I pray, I want to hear those words in my life, Jesus answered. Whenever Tim connected with God, Jesus answered. Who wants that in their life this morning? More Jesus answered in their life. And so Jesus answers and he says, I told you, but you don't believe. Everything I have done has been authorized by my father, a claim to his deity here. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus is talking about his miracles, not just about his preaching style, but his miracles as well. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. Here we go. Check this out. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them from out of my hand. The father who put them under my care is so much greater than the the destroyer and thief. No one could ever get them away from me. Holy Spirit, this morning as we unpack your word, Lord, just as it's kept me grounded, just as it's inspired me, Lord, for the past 15 years following your voice, I pray this morning, that as we unpack your word, it would inspire us, Lord. Give us the, give us... Lord, the humility to, to, to uh, look at ourselves, to self-reflect, and, and, and as we unpack your servant David, Lord, help us find those things that we can apply to our lives to be closer to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Well, in this scripture here, Jesus is assigning to himself a characterological typology of the greatest king of all time, meaning this, that Jesus is comparing himself. This is one of the stories where Jesus compares himself to the great shepherd king, David. Um, You've got to understand in the time that Jesus said this, this was highly controversial and to some extremely offensive. We read this and we go, wow, Jesus sounds like a nice guy. You know, he calls himself the good shepherd. That's nice, you know, makes you feel good. You know, <laughs> it, it, Jesus says that, you know, uh, um, I'll keep the thief, you know, and the destroyer of good away from you. That sounds nice. Jesus sounds like a good man. He gives us real life. That sounds good. Eternal life sounds good. We read this and we go, oh, Jesus sounds lovely. He sounds nice. But when Jesus actually said this, it was highly controversial and extremely offensive because every single person, every Jew at that time, every mum, every dad, every son, every daughter, every grandma, every granddad, every single Jew knew that the coming Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament would number one, come through the line of David and number two, would be a character typology of King David. 
And so when Jesus says that I'm the good shepherd, and then I'm going to rule a life with justice, I'm going to rule with righteousness, meaning that I'm going to keep away the destroyer of good and bring you, uh, and, and, and bring you good life, justice, and righteousness. Jesus is comparing himself to the character of David. And so this is highly controversial and to some extremely offensive. See, in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16, declares a prophecy that through David's lineage, a king would come and reign forever. It goes on to say in 2 Samuel 8, 15, that David ruled the people the way that God had intended with justice and righteousness. And so of all the kings, David ruled the right way that God wanted a ruler who was just and who was righteous, who ruled the right way. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, the the prophet begins to prophesy that a child will be born and he will uphold righteous and justice, right? Uh, Righteousness and justice, comparing the Messiah to the king. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 5 says that a righteous descendant of David will be king and he will do what is just and he will do what is right. And so the Messiah was gonna come through the line of David and basically be a, a type of King uh, David, someone who was just, someone who was right, someone who was a good shepherd. Whenever Christ was called Lord by someone, they were affirming his deity. They were affirming his godship. They were affirming his authority. They were affirming his dominion. Another name for Jesus that we find in the New Testament is Son of David. People begin calling this guy, this man Jesus, who had amazing, miraculous works, begin calling him the son of David. Whenever someone called Jesus the son of David, they weren't just affirming his deity, but they were now affirming his claim to Messiahship. They were now affirming their faith that this man is the Messiah from David's lineage promised hundreds and thousands of years ago he is the Messiah, God. They begin claiming this in Matthew fifteen twenty two. The first person to call Jesus the son of David was a Gentile woman, a non-Jew. So even the non-Jews knew the story. And so this non-Jew says, this guy must be the Messiah. He must be the son of David. He must be the promised Messiah. Matthew 20, 30, two blind men called, David, uh, called Jesus the son of David. Matthew 20, 31, the crowd begins to call uh, Jesus the son of David. Matthew 21, 9, the community that Jesus is ministering calls him the son of David. Matthew 21, 15, the kids' church start calling him the son of David. How cool is that? Even the kids saw what Jesus was doing and said, this guy must be the son of David. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we have Pastor Adam and his team next door. As we get to unpack the word and hear the voice of the shepherd, I'm glad that our kids as well get to hear the son of David, amen? They get to have that experience with Jesus in our kids' church. You know, Matthew 10, uh, sorry, Mark 10, 47, God by the name of Bartimaeus calls him the son of David. And so this scripture is one of the times that we see Jesus claiming his Godhead and claiming his messianic credentials by aligning himself to the theology of David the shepherd king. Now, the mythological understanding of uh, David's shepherding is what set him apart from every other king in history. Uh, What he learnt 
and what he experienced as being a shepherd um, set up the way that he fought, set up the way that he thought, it set up you know, the way that he woke and the way that he spoke. It, it set the way up that he prayed and the way that he praised. It helped him stay humble whenever the guy had a fumble. It was his experience and reaction to events in the field looking after sheep that set him on a crash course with his destiny. David being shepherd set him up on a crash course for his destiny. It was, it's what set him apart from every other king. See, most other kings wanted two things, fame and fortune. Whereas the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart and he learned that in the field. He learned his worship in the field. It was while he was taking care of sheep that he learned things like people skills and how to rule with justice and righteousness. It was in the, the, the realm of being shepherd that he learned all these things. He knew what it was to be a shepherd and more importantly, he knew what it was to have a shepherd. We see that when he writes Psalm 23, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside uh, streams of living water, you know, gentle water. He lies, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Even though I walk through what seems like deathly situations, I don't have to fear. The difference between David and everyone else was David knew what it was to have a shepherd, to have someone lead you from green pasture to green pasture. Even between if the green pastures, even if there seems to be rocky places, nonetheless, the shepherd always looks out for the sheep. And David knew that God was for him. It's what set him apart. His shepherding set him up for success. It was his experiences whilst being a shepherd that prepared his future. It was his experiences whilst being a shepherd that prepared his future. Probably one of the most famous examples of this was when David finds himself in a precarious situation. He's still shepherding and he's told by his dad to go take his brother's lunch. And he takes his brother's lunch, who were in the army, he gets to the front line and there's this guy taunting the Israelite army. And uh, who's going to fight me? No one is, is, is going to fight this guy. The Bible says he was a, a seasoned warrior, um, kind of like the Queensland Maroons team, I guess, um, and uh, they will win on Wednesday. And if they don't, if they don't, all you New South Wales fans, we will have a legitimate excuse. Um, <laughs> so he comes into the situation and says, I'll fight him. And the king says, uh, no, you won't. And then David does something interesting. He begins to look into his past. He looks back into his past. The king says, no, you won't fight him. And David begins going through his past. Here's a question for us this morning. Have you ever looked back and documented on what God's done in your, in, in, in your life? Have you ever gone back to document the good things that God has done in your life? Let me tell you this. God is not in your future, existing only in your future, calling you forward, saying, come on, Come on, you can do this. Come on, just get to me. Come on, get, you can do it. You can do it. Get to me and then you'll have fullness of life. God is not in your future saying, come on, just get to me and then you can have peace. Come on, just get to me and then you can have whatever it is that you need in your life. He's not in your future coaxing you forward. I remember when I was uh, teaching Abby how to ride a bike, I had to learn how to be like God and be omnipresent. <laughs> 
I remember, you know, I wasn't in front of her, you know, saying, come on, bub, come on, get on your bike. Come on, come to daddy, then you'll be all right, you know. And she gets on her bike and, poof, you know, falls over and gets back on, poof, falls over, gets back on. Poof, By the time she got to me, she's all bleeding and battered and bruised and doesn't want to live life, right? <laughs> that didn't happen. I had to be like God. I had to be at all places at all times. I had to be in her past. I had to be behind the seat holding the chair as she got on. I had to hold the handlebars. I had to be behind her. I had to be in her past. Say, come on, bubs, get on. You can do this. Then who knows that as she started, I had to get right beside her. I had to be in a present situation and I had to help her balance on her bike. And then as I took my hands off, she was balancing. Then I ran forward and I got into her, into her future and I said, come on, bub, you can do this. Woohoo! So good. I had to be both behind in her present and in her future all at the same time. Being a dad is awesome. <laughs> God is like that. You can look back in your past and you can find the fingerprints of God, things that He's done in your life that has set you up into a position now in your present that you can look at these flipping giants and go, you know what? God's done something great in my past. It's giving me excitement and inspiration now in my present. Goliath, let me tell you, you're only going to be my new yesterday. I don't think you got that. <laughs> I was waiting for a standing ovation. Good preaching, pastor. <laughs> David, the king says, no, you can't, David. And David says, king, you don't understand. Let me just look back at what God's done in my life. King, there was this one time in my past where I was looking after my dad's sheep and this thief, this lion came and took one of the sheep. <laughs> this lion took one of the sheep and King, you don't know, understand King. When this lion took one, I had to leave the 99. <laughs> oh yeah. I had to leave the 99. You don't understand King. This, this thief stole one and I left the group and I went and rescued that one. Uh, you can't do it. Can you don't understand? There was one time when I was shepherding where the bear, where this burglar took one sheep. I had to leave the 90. You, I, you don't understand, King. I left the 99. I left the group and I went after that one and I rescued the one. Can you don't understand that God's done something amazing in my life and I'm so inspired right now that this Goliath is going to be my new yesterday. He begins looking at his past. And he says, you know what? God delivered things in my life. It's only given me inspiration right now to take on this giant. To you looks big, but you've got to understand, King, to my God, it's just an obstacle. This is going to be my new yesterday. In 24 hours, I'm going to look back and go, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. It's going to be my new yesterday. I'm here to tell you, church, Whatever problem you're facing right now in your life, look back and look at the good things that God has done. Be inspired right now that you can take on this health challenge, that you can take on this financial challenge, that you can take on this relational challenge. And I'm here to tell you that whatever giant is in your way, it's gonna be your new victory yesterday, amen? See, your past exists to set up your future. Look back at what God has done in your life, use it to inspire you today to take on tomorrow's giants. David did it. So let's do it ourselves. Let's use our past to inspire us for the future. And so your past exists to prepare your future. Can we go a little bit deeper this morning? Yep, I hear that one voice. Well done, thank you. 
I was looking for some feedback. That's good. Can we go a little bit deeper? Ah, oh, they followed your lead. Very good. Very good. So good. Um, check this out. Um, in 10 seconds, right now, will be the past. Okay, let's get a bit philosophical here today, because we can. In 10 seconds, right now, will be your past. Check this out. Remember 10 seconds ago when I said that that moment would be your past? Now it is. Come on, give me a round of applause. That was pretty good. Come on. Come on. Come on. People would pay for that kind of philosophy, right? You're getting it for free. Well, 10% anyway. Yeah, that's your tithe. <laughs> and, uh, and if you didn't pay your tithe this morning, just get someone else to pay it for you. Um, because children need to eat mine. Um, so, uh, check this out just because I forget where I am in my notes. <laughs> Check this out. So 10 seconds ago is my past, yeah, which means this, that if my past exists to set up my future, what that means is that my present is paramount to my past, uh, to my past success, okay? So if my past exists to set up my future, my present is paramount to set my past up for success, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, if David didn't rescue the sheep, he wouldn't have, in that moment, in that present moment, he wouldn't have been able to look back and get that, and get that inspiration. Your present is paramount to having a successful past. Your present is powerful, which means this, that your place of preparation is your place of position. Your place of preparation is your place of position looking back on David his shepherding job was yes a place of preparation to become the greatest king of Israel but it was also used as a place of position where he could use his authority and use his power let me explain every night uh, most every night we pray with our kids before they go to bed and uh, Kat might do something different I I, I pray a simple prayer I pray with Mally and Abby and I go into Abby's room and I say okay Bob let's pray and you know we'll close our eyes and I'll just pray I'll say Lord I just pray for Abby tonight, and as she sleeps, I pray that she'll have beautiful dreams, and that as she sleeps, her body will be fully healed, so that when she wakes up in the morning, uh, she'll have lots of energy for school, she'll follow all the instructions, and she'll be, she'll be a great leader to her friends, and a caring and sharing person. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what I pray verbatim to my kids every single night. I pray that prayer, and then, then we'll say, okay, your turn to pray. And so then usually, the, and then, then the kids will pray, and usually they choose Nana or Poppy or Grandma and Granddad, or they'll you know, pray for myself or Cattle, they pray for each other, and sometimes they pray for their friends. Um, you know, lately, Abby's been praying for her teddies, uh, which is pretty cool, you know. And in fact, just a few nights ago, we're praying for, for Bernard, and, you know, she touched his head and poof, he fell out under the power of God. It was so good, and, you know, we prayed for Bob the Bear, and he started laughing and shaking, and I was, it was me wiggling at him, but, you know, he, he was gone. The move of God, the, the, the unicorn started speaking in tongues, and it was just, you know, should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Mitsubishi, you know, just started speaking in tongues just an amazing move of God um, with, with, with the teddy bears and so praise the Lord anyway so you know they'll pray as well and well anyway a few months ago I was sick um, I had the man flu um, which I don't know if you've had it well if you're a female you wouldn't have had it but for the men if you've had the man flu it's got to be the most painful and life debilitating thing that a human can ever have um, 
You know, I've been through lots of pain in my life. I've had pneumonia when I was in year 12. I broke my leg playing soccer. You know, I was, I was present when my wife gave birth to my two kids. And I can say that with a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt, the man flu has got to be the most painful thing that a human being can go through. And um, I'm just so glad that my wife doesn't have to go through the man flu. I'm just, uh, thank God that, that I take that burden on for our family. All the men said, yeah, that's right. All the women said, nothing. There you go, because they know it's true. <laughs> All the women are thinking, he's on the couch tonight. <laughs> so, anyway, Greg's not smiling at all. No. <laughs> I'm laughing because my wife's watching me and she's got this snarly look on her face. <laughs> no, nah, she's not. She's got a happy look. And, uh, so anyway, I had the man flu. And uh, Abby walks in. She's on her way to school. She walks in. She says, Daddy, why are you not at work? And I said, uh, Bobby, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. As soon as I said that, poof, this hand poof, hit my forehead. And she begins praying for me. And she says, Jesus, I pray for Daddy that as he sleeps today, that he'll have beautiful dreams. And that when he wakes up, he'll be healed. And that when he goes to work, he can be a good leader to all of his friends and be a sharing and caring person. In Jesus' name, amen. She gave me a kiss and ran off. And I lied there. Not healed. Where's your faith, little girl? No, no. I was still sick. But who knows that in my spirit on the inside, who knows that something changed? Who knows that I was like, Wow. So, in fact, I had a revelation. Can I share my revelation? My revelation was this that your place of preparation is your place of position. So, you've got to understand that one of the reasons why we pray every night with our kids, probably the main reason, is simply to create a habit. See, I know that habits control you, we do things based out of habit. And so I want the habit of prayer to be in my kid's life. I want them to know that you know, I'm, I'm waiting for that moment where, you know, when they're old enough and realize that oh, I got to pray. Uh, I, we've been doing it because we're trying to prepare our kids, you know, to understand the power of prayer. We're training our kids to understand that we have the ability to connect with Holy Spirit. I, I'm training my kids to, to, to understand that there's something powerful, you know, when we wake up and go to sleep, having acknowledged Jesus, um, everything that I've been doing and Kat's been doing while we pray with our kids has been a place of preparation. But it was in that moment that I realized even though my kids are in a place of preparation, they're also in a place of position. Because my daughter, her understanding was this. I'm not preparing. I'm just going to do it. I've got the authority. I've got the power. And so even though for daddy... I'm trying to, she didn't, she, she didn't go, okay, dad, hey, what do I pray in this situation? Help me. What do I say here, dad? What's the secret formula? She didn't, she just stepped out in authority. She stepped out in her own power. She stepped out in her own confidence in Christ. And she begins praying for her sick dad. And even though she's in a time of preparation right now, nonetheless, she steps up and she takes her position of authority and power and begins to pray. Let me tell you, church, that your place of preparation is also your place of position. Our community does not need a church who comes here every Sunday just to figure out how to be a good flipping Christian, you know, how to get this prayer thing right. Our community doesn't need a church that's just like, oh, I can't do that because I'm not sure I know how to do it. Let me tell you, I'm in a place of position. I'm still learning how to worship God properly. I'm still learning how to connect with God. I'm still learning how to be a good husband. I'm still learning how to be a good pastor. But nonetheless, 
nevertheless, even though I'm in this life of preparation, I'm not gonna let the idea of preparation stop me from walking in my authority and calling and my place of position. I'm gonna step out. Church, don't get comfortable in a place of preparation, but step out in what God has called you to do. Step out in prayer. Step out in wisdom. Step out in providence. It's time to get out in our community and be the church. Even though we have no idea what we're doing, let's just do it anyway. Your place of preparation is your place of position. Don't wait until you, I'm just not sure if it's the right time. It's never going to be the right time. You know, (laughs) when I was young, all of my, uh, uh, getting married. You know, Tim, is it the right time? Probably not. I'm a 23-year-old boy. I have no idea what I'm doing. My brain isn't fully developed yet. But nonetheless, I was like, yeah, it's a good idea. Let's do it. And got married. It's awesome. There's never a right time to do these things. You know, hey, Tim, let's have kids. Sure. <laughs> There's never a right time. You know, you're talking to someone, oh, I'm sick. And then you get that voice in the head, hey, you should pray. Oh, it's not the right time. I don't feel it's not the right time. It's never the right time. But do it anyway. Step out in faith because your place of preparation is actually your place of, of position. When Peter stepped out of the boat, was it his place of preparation or his place of position? It was both. Who knows that he needed to be able to call out to the name of Jesus and hear the voice of Christ so that a few uh, 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 months, whatever, years later, he could step up onto a box and preach to thousands of people, hear the voice of the Lord and see thousands of people come to know him. He needed that preparation. But let me tell you, he was the only one that took the position and stepped out and walked on water because he stepped out in faith right then and there. When Jesus was teaching at the temple at 13, was it a place of preparation or a place of position? It was both. Yes, Jesus went to Bible college to learn the scriptures. But the Bible says at 13, he was teaching in the synagogues and people were amazed. It was also his position. Let me tell you, your place of preparation is your place of provision. Don't wait until you've figured out the secret magic prayer that God answers all your prayers. When you get it, tell us, please. But step out in faith now, even when, I don't know, I'm still learning this. Just step out and do it. For David being a shepherd, his place of preparation was also his position. It's where he learned his authority. It's where he learned his power. It's where he listened to the voice. It was where he heard the voice of the great shepherd, of the good shepherd calling. When David was a shepherd, he heard the voice of the Lord. He heard the voice of the good shepherd. I'm listening to this book, an audio book. Audio books are the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, I don't know what was the greatest thing before sliced bread. Does anyone know? What did they say before sliced bread? It's the greatest thing. What? Broken bread. Before broken bread. I know who the first person was to go, this loaf. Oh, it's broken. It's too. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> who was the first person to look at the thing coming out of the bum of a chicken? and go, we should eat that. I don't know. Sorry, it's just... Who thought that? Who thought, oh, that's interesting. Let's crack that open and see what's in there. Well, let's eat it. Anyway. Uh, I'm, so, anyway, I'm listening to this book <laughs> called, um, it's called um, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus by a lady named Lois Verberg. And in it, um, she tells this story when she was in Israel. 
she tells this story that she was in this farming community and um, she says that she saw something amazing happen and she begins saying that in Israel, um, not many people place their sheep in pens because in Israel, there's not you know, m- many places where there's just constantly green grass you know, because of the climate it's in, what, what have you. And uh, So what the shepherds do is they would take their sheep from from green meadow to green meadow and the sheep would follow the shepherd and the shepherd would take them through the rocky patches. They would take them through the valleys to get to green grass. The sheep would eat the green grass. They would be protected there and, then, and they would be sustained and then, you know, uh, uh, that would be eaten. It would be done. Then the shepherd would then take them to the next bit of land, you know, where the green grass would be. You can't just keep them in a pen in, in, in Israel just because of the climate. And so it's one of the only countries in the world where the shepherds actually make the sheep follow them and they lead the sheep to good pasture. And as she said, she's in this farming community and she sees these three shepherds converge and they walk up to each other and, the other and they start talking. And she says, it's, it's like they're just like catching up, you know, like they haven't seen each other while they're talking. And she noticed that all the sheep that were following them start intermingling and they were all entwined with each other. You know, they all intermingled and she was thinking to herself, I wonder how they're going to separate all these sheep because they're now all, you know, entwined and intermingled. And she said something amazing happened after a while. They, the shepherds shook hands and they separated and went their own way and they just made their noise that they make. And she said the strangest thing happened. They didn't touch any sheep. All they did was make a noise and the sheep started dispersing into their own flocks. And she said that the sheep separated and began following their own shepherd. And even though there was three voices that said something, each sheep knew the voice of its shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Even though there was other noises, even though there was distraction, the sheep knew the voice of their good shepherd, the person that would take them to green pasture. I love in this scripture where Jesus says, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them from out of my hand. (laughs) The sheep know my voice. These sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. They knew the voice of protection. They knew the voice of provision. They knew the voice that would, yes, they were going to walk through the valley. Yes, stuff was going to happen in life, but nonetheless, my shepherd is my protector. Those things that are going to destroy my life, my shepherd is there to protect me. He's there to look after me. The sheep knew his voice. Jesus says, I know my sheep and they know me. I'm going to give them real and eternal life. I'm going to protect them from the destroyer for good. You know, I love what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, um, you know, the, the eternal life, bit, bit of eschatology this morning. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> yes, you're going to get eternal life. Yes, there's life after death, right? Yes, we get to heaven. You know, if you believe in Jesus, can uh, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Yes, there's something eternal. But I love what Jesus says here. He says, I'm going to give you real life. I'm going to give you something real. You know, what he's saying is this, that your life isn't going to be a life existing just following rules and procedures. And every time you fail a rule or procedure, you feel bad about yourself. You know, living a life of trying to figure out how to do it and, and you know, using your own strength. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you real life. I'm going to give you life where 
you know, you feel joyful. I'm going to live, give your life where there is freedom. You know, just listen to my voice. <laughs> what he's saying is, hey, I'm going to give you something real. I'm going to give you something great. I'm going to give you something joyful. Just listen to my voice. Let me tell you this, church, the good shepherd is speaking to you. The good shepherd is constantly speaking to you. And I tell you what, if you want to see God activating in your past, if you want to see the presence of Lord being inspired right now in your present, if you want to have that inspiration to face the giants, then all you got to simply do is hear the voice of the good shepherd, is hear the voice of the good shepherd. Because I'm telling you this church, he'll lead you to green pastures. He'll lead you to good things. And even though you might walk through what seems like horrible and terrible times, nonetheless, you can have faith in a good, good shepherd who will take you to green pastures, who even in the midst of what seems like a deathly situation, you can still feel sustained. Even though you feel like maybe the destroyer for good has taken something of yours, maybe taken your joy, you can still go to the good shepherd and he'll replace it and give you joy. Maybe you feel this morning like that, you know, something has been stolen. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe a child isn't walking with Jesus. And you feel like that the enemy has stolen something from you. Your child isn't walking with Jesus. Man, he's stolen something from me. Let me tell you this. The good shepherd leaves the 99. The good shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that even though where it seems like a giant is in front of us, I'm here to tell you that the good shepherd, he's for you. He's not against you. He's gonna bring good things into our life. You might feel like that your joy has been stolen. You might feel like that maybe your faith has been stolen. You might feel like that love or that gentleness or happiness or wisdom has been stolen. I'm here to tell you this morning that the good shepherd wants to give you real life. He wants to give you something that you can sustain into eternity. He wants to give you something where the destroyer can't steal from you no longer, but you can live knowing that God is your protector that the front door is locked. That mongrel isn't going to come in and steal your joy. He's not going to come in and steal your marriage. He's not going to come in and steal your kids. Your finances will be safe. There's going to be wisdom on your life. I'm here to tell you the good shepherd is on your side this morning. Let's give him praise. Woo! Uh, just kind of listen to his voice. Listen to the shepherd's voice. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you listening to his voice this morning? Are you listening to his voice this morning? Are you listening to his voice this morning? He's calling you out. He's calling you out. He's calling that Goliath out. He's saying, hey, look at what I've done in your past. I'm going to give you inspiration right now to face this giant. And it's going to be your new yesterday. Amen. Whew. shepherd is calling. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that good shepherd. You know the Bible says that you just got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Then you'll be saved.